folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Barack Lurie Podcast. Welcome, welcome. This is Barack Lurie, of course, and uh, with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. We like to say that, always a pleasure. Because it is. And um, I, I have to start off this podcast with something that came up, uh, and, and we're going to be talking about something else shortly, but uh, something came up was so bizarre. And that is this news item that Kim Il-un, is that on? Kim Jong-un. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Kim Jong-un. He's the, uh, the leader of North Korea, this horrible man. But um, the horrible things he's done with uh, people, how, they, how he executes them and such, if they, if they look at him in a funny way or if he's slightly suspicious of them for whatever reason, or if he just doesn't, if he just feels like it, he's a, he's a monster. Um, what did he do recently? He, he uh, effectuated a new law that said that you have to have the exact same haircut that he has. All men, at least, uh, have to have the same haircut that he has. And if you see uh, his picture in the papers, you'll see that it's quite a ridiculous haircut. But that's the haircut everyone now has to sport. <sighs> I, you know, it's, it's hard to even begin with this one. Putting aside the humiliation, the the dehumanizing of everybody, that they should all look like him, right? This is, this is a great way of taking away your individuality, taking away your humanity in particular, right? I mean, you have to look like somebody else now, or at least try to look as much like this person as you can. Um, how bizarre, right? And uh, this is the nature of dictatorship. This is the, the impulse that every autocracy, every dictatorship Every liberal agenda seeks out. And there you go, liberal agenda, right? It seems so contrary in its own terms, right? Liberal is, connotes such a nice word. It, liberal means, well, liberal. It means free. It, it's open. Be liberal, man. Be cool. That sort of thing. But the irony is that liberal is anything but liberal. And liberal, in fact, uh, requires everyone to think just like them, which is the opposite of what you would expect out of the word liberal. Maybe that's the reason why the liberals in Australia are the conservatives. That makes sense, right, in Australia. But here we have it. Um, you know, if you want to look at the extreme of what liberalism would offer, look at North, North Korea. Look at any communist country, for that matter, and you'll get your answers. Um, and, and I understand somebody will say, no, what we're saying is that there should be some sort of state uh, sponsorship of stuff and, and federal programs, but that doesn't mean that we're against private enterprise, Mr. Lurie. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, I, I, you don't really buy that because the mantra that, that the liberals provide is such that capitalism itself is, is a horrendous, horrendous evil. In fact, it's a necessary evil. But uh, one day, you know, we're just not thinking hard enough. We're not coming up with solutions that will be more impactful. And, and that's what they, they have in their hopes when it comes to Obama, that he will be the one that will manage to transform America to the government-run state that they hope it to be. That's what they hope. And every, every, everything will be kumbaya. Everyone will be able to, to go to museums when they want to. Everyone will have their freedom of, to, to do whatever they want to. And... And the government will provide, the government will provide, the government will provide. And, of course, that comes only from the very wealthy, the extremely wealthy at this point, because 
well, the, the, they have enough money to take care of everyone else. Which reminds me, I always thought as a little kid, wouldn't it be cool if everyone just gave me a dollar in America? Back then, there were only, I don't know, 180 million people in America. I was 12 years old or so. And I thought to myself, wow, if everyone, I mean, a dollar is nothing. It would be no big deal. They just give me a dollar, everyone. I would, I would have $180 million. And of course, well, people are not interested in just giving everyone else a dollar because very soon they wouldn't have enough money for themselves. And it, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, it works that way, I guess, in the lottery, but not, not in any other way. But the reverse doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if, no matter how wealthy Donald Trump is, he can't possibly feed everyone in the United States. He just can't do it. So, uh, but this is the mantra that they have. They, they somehow think that they're, it, this can be done, that, that we just have to have the right people to put exactly the right infrastructure to figure this all out, and we will have utopia. And this is my point, that if you want utopia, you want to see the dangers of utopia, that's, that's what you're going to see. Is our, you will see the consequences of it in North Korea. This is what utopia really leads to. As you say, the gulag or the gas chambers, right? Utopia always leads to that, this notion, despite a beautiful phrase, right? That word utopia is a wonderful word. It literally means no place in Greek, but utopia, as we think of it, uh, where everything is perfect and everyone uh, manages to comport themselves just right and everyone's happy. Um, it, by definition, it requires everyone to be on board. No one's ever going to be all on board. It's impossible. Even in America, where we, we have so many shared values, not everyone agrees that, that God should be in our culture. That's my utopia, right? I mean, among many other things. Um, my utopia is that government uh, not be involved in anything or as little as possible. That's my utopia too. But a liberal's utopia is that government be involved much more and that we have no God in, in the schools or any, that, that the God should not inform anything we, we do. In fact, we should see God as the enemy. So those are just two examples. I mean, how, how are you going to get everyone to unify around this utopian vision? So utopia, by definition, requires force. It requires people to uh, become standardized human beings. And that's what we're seeing, and that's why I bring it up, with Kim Jong-un uh, and his haircut demands. He's literally forcing everyone to be just like him, or to at least look just like him. It's a, What a pathetic life, what a pathetic existence it would be, wouldn't it, Ari, to, to live in North Korea, to be essentially a slave to this leader. You know, you're, you're born on the planet, and you could very well just be slaves to these, to this man and to his son, presumably, in the next generation and so on. And then you die. That's it. That was your entire existence, just being a slave, hoping that this or that leader, which whoever the leader might be, uh, is not going to kill you, is not going to put you in jail, and that you better have the right haircut. But that's, that's life. Anyway, uh, it just, it, it, what was a, a kind of a funny and crazy story 
I think the reason why I bring it up, it's so emblematic of utopia, of, of the liberal way of thinking, that they, they may mock it, but ironically, their way of thinking is precisely where this leads. Oh, what, what I think is so important about the story is that uh, we see liberalism here because, you know, you, you said that uh, we, we point to liberalism and then say, well, look at North Korea, that's where it leads. And then the liberal who's using critical theory to argue against you immediately will say the straw man argument, well, are you saying that Barack Obama has turned America into North Korea? Or we would be like, well, of course not. That's not the point. Right, the argument we never said. Right, we, we never said that. We said North Korea is where unbridled liberalism, unencumbered by any restraint leads. Right. And we see that uh, liberalism, encumbered liberalism, where it can't reach the North Korean place in a day, does torment us in, sw- in small ways. Some great ways, but mostly small ways. We can't smoke in a, c- a cigarette in a restaurant. We can't use the, p- the plastic bag to transport our groceries home. We can't have a barbecue on certain days. We've had to make our home energy efficient and have smart circuitry so they, some faraway commissar, can know how much heat or cooling we're consuming. Right. But here's what's, I think, the important point. In North Korea, because it's unbridled, they can torment their people in ways that are great. They don't need to torment their people in small ways. They can take anyone off the street and feed them to dogs. They can wipe out that person's entire family and brand them an intergenerational enemies of the state. And, and they are now in the gulag in, yeah. in perpetuity. Yeah. But they still choose to torment their citizens in small ways, too, because they are so sadistic. Part and parcel of liberalism is sadism. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about the sadism. I think that they definitely they don't realize what they're asking for. They, they would never want what they they would never actually want what they claim to cry out for now. Uh, agenda-wise, it, it's one of the classic ironies is that the the very things they they love about society are brought about because of conservative principles, not because of liberal principles. And I'm talking about not just the things that they like, like the car, uh, the iPad and the iPhone and so on like that, air conditioning, all those things that are brought about by conservatism, but even ide- ideas, uh, music and um, good writing all those things come from uh, the unbridled expression of ideas, right? So um, that's free expression that we talk about, and, that, and that's what we champion. They think we don't champion it, but we do. And the, the, the liberals are the ones that, that are trying to stop us from, from thinking a certain way, from talking a certain way, definitely. They call it hate speech uh, if you don't agree with them. That's what it is. And, if, and, and that's not just in terms of uh, this or that group of people, but in terms of this or that ideology. And global warming is such a great example. If you, are, if you do not believe in global warming, you are a global warming denier, uh, akin to a Holocaust denier. And, if, uh, and now they're ramping it up a little bit, and we'll soon talk about ramping up things. Uh, they're ramping it up in the sense that they are uh, telling you that if you don't believe in global warming, or if, they, if you advocate that there is no global warming real threat out there, that um, you should be punished uh, because, uh, by golly, it's just dangerous to, to do this, and we need to get everyone on board. 
That's right. Everyone must be on board if we're going to have this uh, utopian vision. Hmm. Where did I hear that word before? Utopia. Oh, that's right. About five minutes ago in this podcast, talking about North Korea. This is what happens. This is what happens, folks. And uh, we should all be alarmed. But don't forget the irony that I just mentioned. The terrible irony that if you're a liberal, ask yourself, how is it that you can enjoy whatever you love in society, whether it's biking or the beach or the ballet or music, generally speaking, great art, or being able to start your own business, uh, having a, a great family and having a beautiful house, taking vacations, all those things are only brought to you by the principles of conservatism. That's it. And we can show that to you until the cows come home. But it certainly is not brought to you by government. It's certainly not brought to you by massive regulation. And it's certainly not brought to you by massive taxation. Could I clarify something in that statement yeah. you just said? Yeah. And we're not saying that every businessman, every entrepreneur has conservative values or believes them or thinks of them. We're saying that the, the very ideas, the foundational ideas that brought us business, transactional exchange, medians of exchange to, so we're separate from bartering, are all part of conservative traditional views of society that are rooted in conservatism, that even if you're a liberal, when you engage in commerce, you're engaging in a conservative thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, they, they don't realize the exchange of ideas. They, 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 but they still think of it as a necessary evil. But it's, it, it all harkens back to the Michael Moore approach, right? I think Michael Moore actually really encapsulates the entire liberal mantra, that the, the failure to see consequences, the failure to think things through. We've talked about this before on many previous podcasts. Uh, and that is when, when he's asked, you know, he's joining the Occupy Wall Street crowd and a reporter asks him point blank, all right, well, you support these people. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That, that, you know, we're one of the same. Um, okay. Um, so what's your beef? Well, capitalism is a terrible thing. It's, it, it brings down the people. And, and, and he says, and then the reporter said, well, what would you have in place of capitalism? And he said, I don't know. We'll think of something. That's, that is emblematic of liberalism because they don't actually have a plan. Now, they'll say, what are you talking about, Barack? You know, we're, we're presenting the health care plan and things like that. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, a general system. What is your plan? I mean, you, you want to wipe out capitalism, at least Michael Moore does. What's your plan? What's, what's going to replace it? Is it purely government? Is it who, who's going who's gonna to create anything? Who's going to have inventions? Who's going to create jobs? What, what is it? What's your vision? And if your vision is that government will do everything for us, well, then uh, isn't that communism? And we know that communism is not a good thing. What, 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 what other thing? I, maybe I'm just not being creative enough. Maybe Michael Moore is not being creative enough. But all we know, good for today, is that we have very few systems really to choose from. We can do mix and, mix and match, but we've got fascism, communism, which are really one of the same. Uh, we've got and the free market enterprise. And everything else is a combination of one of those. It's kind of like the primary colors, right? You know, you, you, get, you mix everything. What is it? Uh, red, blue, and yellow, I think. Or, 
Right? Yeah, helps. red, blue, and yellow. Yeah. Those are the primary colors. And from those three colors, you can get every other kind of color, right? So the primary colors are uh, socialism, uh, sorry, co communism, fascism, and free, uh, market. Freedom, free market. And everything, every other system is in some form or another a combination of those three items. And uh, oddly enough, the only really good color there is the one that's the free market. This is the only one that allows people to be free. Uh, right. I, I think as a, as a thought experiment, there is one more that comes to mind. Yeah, please. And, but this one's the most ironic one of all because this is the one they seem to hint at that they want. Mm. Feudalism, in which there's a king. Mm. They don't ever mention how he's selected. Right, that's okay. true. Yeah. Then there's a bunch of royalty, baronesses, dukes, you know, the great landowners who are the land barons, and then the serfs. Right, and, and they, they work the land. And perhaps if they want to throw in the anti-Semitic component that so much of the left has, you have the, the money-lending, jewelry-peddling class, which are filled by Jews traditionally if you go back right. a thousand years ago. Right. But if, you, if, you, if they, they get their elitist fantasy and they get to be king, they no way – you, you, you did uh, these wonderful episodes about static thinking. And the only way feudalism works, in finger quotes works, because I don't mean it works as in good, I mean works as in it stays in place, is as long as everything's static and no one overthrows the king or tries to become king of the hill and have a war and turbulence and all that stuff, which, you know, these people say they're anti-war. Right. So once you put feudalism in, you're basically guaranteeing war after war after war. So true. So, okay, uh, so uh, me, feudalism, me, but, communism, yeah. fascism... Of those three, or the free markets where we just have to go to work every yeah, day. Yeah, but let me, let, me, let, me, let me take it from there, because I did say good for today, right? So, because feudalism, we don't really have that today. But I, I like your approach, because in reality, it seems like the only alternative that the liberals offer is something like feudalism, because of the king approach. And I think they, they like that. There's a romanticism with, with kings and royalty. And so perhaps that's where, where they're going with this. Well, I very quickly wanted to mention there is one place where the communism practice mirrors feudalism. Yeah. North Korea. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Anyway, th that's, that's what you've got. That's what you've got to choose from, folks. You, you, you can't – there's really nothing new under the sun. There, I don't think that there's going to be a new system, uh, as Michael Moore envisions, where – um, you know, all these wonderful this, – this new idea that we never just thought about, like, like I could have had a V8 sort of situation, right? Why didn't we think of that before? Uh, I think, you know, basically kind of like there's, there's not going to be any new real stories anymore. They're, they're, I don't know how, what they say. They're basically six or seven storylines, and that's really about it. Maybe someday, someday somebody will discover an eighth storyline. Um, but by and large, you know, we've kind of discovered it after – you know, so many thousands of years on the planet. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, as the Bible says. And government-wise, there's really nothing new under the sun. And uh, it, feudalism has been part of history. Uh, kings have been part of history. Democracy certainly has. Communism has. Fascism, fascism has. And many combinations of those. I don't think we're going to see anything else. Uh, not in our lifetimes and probably not for thousands of years to come. And I can't envision what it's going to be. At, at best, it'll be a combination of one or, or more of those things we just mentioned. But it won't, we won't call it uh, mercantilism, for example. 
I don't know what, what they can possibly say. Yeah, I think what the, those on the left fail to see is that if you don't practice free enterprise, then you're essentially instituting a situation, a, a societal situation, in which other people will decide for you, invariably, how you are going to live. Yeah. Now, I know some liberals love to think of themselves as our commissars, and they're going to be the ones telling us how they live. Sure. But whenever you put those situations into actual effect, invariably the strong man with the gun becomes the one who tells everyone how to live. And the first thing they usually do, like in the case of Stalin, is round up liberals and send them to the gulag first. Right. Surprise, surprise. They're the useful idiots, as they say. Um, you know, I talked to... Um talked to a couple of people about this before, and, and then, then I want to move on to our, our different topic, uh, which is the, the, you know, what to anticipate for the future in terms of different things uh, that, that we can't expect. Um, we were talking about before, about the nature of, 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 um, of governments and such, and then, but, but on a related matter, we talk about what happens when America retreats militarily from the rest of the world, as we are doing now, where we're moving the goal now, according to the Obama administration, is to reduce our military to pre-World War II levels. <sighs> what, what, the logic in that is, is beyond me, uh, but that's what many liberals would have us, us uh, have. And they say, oh, don't worry, you know, because of technology today and such, we don't need the kind of expansive uh, military that we now have. Suddenly they're, they're Joe efficient, you know. <laughs> They're not efficient in everything else and anything else whatsoever when it comes to Social Security or uh, Medicare or Obamacare, for that matter, uh, or the public school system. They, could, you know, just throw more, more, more money at it. And that's the answer for them. But when it comes to the military, then they're very surgical. Yeah, they become t hacksaw Al Dunlap. Yes. They're Remember very... that guy from the Sunbeam company? Yeah. Fired all the employees for efficiency. Oh, they yeah. become that guy when right, it right. comes to the military. Yeah, they're, they're very suddenly reasonable. But, uh, but okay, so now, now uh, you know, let's say that, that they have their dream, and it looks like they're going to have their dream, that we reduce our, our military to that level. Then, um, then what happens? To, you know, is, is the notion that we're going to have a police-free world where America no longer has to be the police? So I simply ask my liberal friends, okay, what do you think is going to happen? Well, then no one will be the policeman. Um, and I say maybe for a day. <laughs> um, but oh, do you really think that nobody's going to step in? Well, why should anyone step in? And I said, well, this is what, you know, why studying history has some value. Because if you look at history, there's never been a time, that's right, never been a time where there has not been some sort of policeman or a couple of policemen. Just never. Yeah, well, I mean, let's just take a neighborhood. Let's just say Brentwood. What would happen if you announced in L.A. Times and on all the networks and news in Los Angeles that Brentwood will no longer be patrolled by any policeman? What will happen tomorrow? Well, all the criminals will come in. Well, this is too easy, And then, right? of course, then be the people will have to take the law into their own hands and start shooting the criminals themselves. Then you have what's called, when it happens in uh, a foreign policy situation, something called war. Right. Right. Well, you'll have war, and then eventually there will be a new status quo. And to use your Los Angeles example, which is exactly the, the, the example I gave to my friends, imagine if there's no police in Los Angeles. You're like, boom, gone. Okay, what's going to happen is, yes, it'll be chaos for a while, but then very quickly, a mafia will arise. And suddenly there'll be a new structure, a new order. You don't have to like it, 
but there'll be a no order. You know, it's very rare that you have total chaos for hundreds of years. There's always somebody who steps in. Well, it's very, chaos is bad for business, even if you're in the mafia. Yes. You want stability. You want the gambling and the prostitution, the drug dealing to run smoothly. Right. There'll be some sort of syndicate that will take over. Yeah, protection and rackets. That, that's yeah. right. And then, then you have to play that game. It's a new set of rules. It'll be corrupt, but by golly, uh, there'll be rules. And that's what people crave. So, uh, but anyway, it's just too naive, right? All right. So let's, let's move on to the next topic because uh, we talk a little bit about this in the sense of what the future is holding. So it's a good segue. Um, I, I like to think about the future all the time. One of the things that, uh, and there's, there's two main areas I want to talk about. And after I talk about them, maybe if something jumps out at you is very obvious, by all means, feel free to tell me. But there's two areas I want to talk about. One is the Islamification of the world, particularly in Europe, as we're seeing it now. And we're seeing incredible and, I think, horrible changes in Europe where uh, they're basically Islamified the schools, the public schools. And if they're not a majority in the schools, they are, they are a plurality in the schools. And once you're a plurality, you've got a lot of power. I remember when we were, uh, when we, uh, I, I lived in Germany for a while and for a year, and I went to an American high school there, but it, it, it looked just like an American high school. It was, had all the locker rooms, it, it, everything about it was the same. You, you had the prom and, and so on. But it was different in the sense that we were all diplomats kids, you know, mostly diplomats kids, diplomats from different countries. Those countries didn't have uh, the equivalent of, a, of a, an American school there. So everyone went to the American school, you understand. So yes, there were a lot of Americans, but there were a lot of Canadians, a lot of Israelis, um, a lot of Dutch for some reason, <laughs> and a few Swedes, and uh, the, a smattering from this or that African country as well. And it was interesting. So you got to meet very interesting kids from all over the world. But I'll never forget that they, there was a plurality of Canadians, and they had a lot of muscle, in, in a good way. I'm not, you know, people, they, they were proud to be Canadian, and they, they kind of spoke their piece. Uh, they weren't required to act American or anything else like that, but they spoke their piece. So they had muscle. And that's the same way, I think, in the future that we're, you're going to expect to see in the Islamification of the West, of the Eastern. And, and these guys do uh, have no problem with violence and intimidation. And uh, they're now, not only are they demanding that they be allowed to wear the, the scarf and the, um, the burqa and, and to demand certain things with the Sharia law and such, to allow Sharia law to be observed and enforced, they also are trying to squash down Christian, Christianity in particular. So no celebration of Christmas. They'll demand that that be squashed. They're brazen about it at this point. At least in England they are. And France, it's already happened, I think, a long time ago. Five years ago, it's, it's, just, it's just not good. The Jewish community is completely lost there. They, they've, they've, they've retreated completely. I don't know. If you're a Jew in France, I don't know why you're staying there. It just, there's just, I mean, it's not as if there's opportunity in France, right? I mean, it's one thing if it were a great capitalist nation... And like Hong could, Kong or yeah, something. Yeah, Hong Kong. But, but then you wouldn't have the problem in the first place, right? 
If you were open market, you wouldn't have anti-Semitism. But it's precisely because you have uh, a lack of free market and, and a dramatic social, socialism rise that you have anti-Semitism. Anyway, here's my prediction. I mean, where, where is this going to go, right? At some point, uh, we'll have to look at Europe and say, okay, well, that neighborhood just, it's all Islamified now. All of it. They have very high birth rate. So, and then I noticed something else that when I was there last, um, nobody goes to church anymore. There's, there, there, there are no real believers there. there. I mean, when I say no, I don't mean zero. But, but basically, for all intents and purposes, it's almost an atheist nation. Would you say the only people who really go to church in mass there are tourists to see the cathedrals? As yeah. Edifices of religion, but oh, aren't yeah. used as sanctuaries of religion? Right. They, they are historical monuments. Like here, it's just like, like Sutter's uh, gold mine, right? You, you don't expect to get gold out of there, right? It's not a, an operating gold mine, but that's where it happened, okay? That's where Sutter and his men more or less started the gold rush. So there's a historical event. Uh, likewise, Notre Dame, and, and I'm bringing up Notre Dame for a reason. I'm going to say something shocking. I'm, I'm predicting that within 15 to 20 years, Notre Dame will become a mosque. I was thinking you were about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, dear listener, you know, now the listener is saying, wow, Barack's really lost it. I mean, seems like a nice guy. Really, seems... like the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople. Well, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm with you. And I'll prove my point. Um, but, you know, Barack, he, he seems like, you know, he's an articulate guy. He seems to think things through. But this one, I don't know if I can go with him on this one. I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll start off with the simple first and then go into the historical part. First, the simple. Um, look, the realities, and I, and I just mentioned, France is basically an atheist society, you know, or agnostic at the very least. It has no appreciation for God. They're not fighting for God. No one is out there saying, uh, let's fight for God. So you have people who have no real energy for God. They're not fighting for God in any shape or form. And then you have this other group of people, the Islamists, who are very much fighting for Allah and uh, believe very deeply in it. So in, in the passion wars, the, the Islamists win. I mean, you know, very few atheists are very passionate about anything. Um, that's why you don't see atheism, a, atheists engaging in much charity or, or otherwise. They, you know, they, they think they're right about their view After of the world. After they tear down someone's nativity scene, they generally just go home. And yeah, they're very good at destruction, out. but they're not good at building. So that, that's what they do. And, and I'm sorry, Mr. Atheist, if, you, if, if you're offended by that, well, then I don't care. It, it is what it is. And if you can show me how atheists create a great uh, 501c3, uh, a great one, not just creating a 501c3, but if you can show me an atheist uh, creating a, a group that actually does something good for society, like the Boy Scouts or, uh, you know. Salvation uh, Army. Salvation Army or the Children's Cancer Awards or anything like that, then, then we, we can have another discussion. But but you ain't doing that. Okay. So, but the, so the passion wars, the Islamists win. Okay. What happens now when the Islamists say, you know what? We think that Notre Dame was always really meant to be a mosque and we want it to be a mosque now for historical purposes. What are you talking about? This was never uh, a mosque. Well, we think it was. Oh, you do? Yeah. And if you don't, if, if, if you're saying it wasn't, Mr. Christian, 
then uh, we're, we're offended. And I don't want you offending my, my people. Do you want to offend the Muslims, Mr. Christian? No, 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 no. We, we, we don't care. We don't care that much about it. it, it look, what, is it, what, what does it matter, Mr. Christian? Anyway, we, we believe in the same God that you do. So let us have, uh, you know, you're not occupying it. Yeah, why are you so offended? Jesus was a Muslim. Noah was a Muslim. Yeah, he was, Jesus was a prophet in our faith. Yeah. So we're just uh, observing it. We're using it. We're, it's the highest yeah. and best use. How about that? High, that's a real estate term, by the way, in law. Yeah. Um, we, and it's actually a very good system. We call it highest and best use, right? Is this the highest and best use for this particular property given the surrounding of the neighborhood, Right. And you guys, you Christians, are basically abandoning Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Therefore, um, it's not achieving its highest and best use. You, you know what I see as far as how the negotiations will go? Remember the stories of the SDS and the Alinskyites and the Weathermen who took over college campuses and demanded changes to the curriculum? And what did they say would happen if they didn't get the changes? Well, we'll burn the whole thing down. That's right. There you go. So that's what's going to happen. And remember, they're not negotiating with the Christians. Christians who believe in God would stand up for themselves. They're negotiating with the French government and the Parisian mayor's office, who are a bunch of intellectuals out of the Sorbonne and other... They're not, know, they're not feminized, about to challenge. Uh, they're not about to yeah. so, so, so that's the simple, this, the simple part of it. That's the realpolitik, uh, the, you know, the, the facts on the ground situation. The French don't give a damn yeah. anymore. They're, they're not going to fight for Notre Dame. So one day, I, I, I can just see it now. One day, the, the Islamists will just surround Notre Dame. And they'll say, guess what? It's ours now. And put domes on the front two towers and call them minarets and get a muzzin up there with a the bullhorn. That's right. And, and then uh, what's going to happen? The gendarmes are going to that's, – that's French for soldiers. The gendarmes are going to come by and, and say, get out of here. We're going to evict you. And then they'll say, oh, you're harassing us. You're harassing us. And then there'll be a de facto occupation of Notre Dame. And then next thing you know, they'll be having prayers and services there. And next thing they know, they'll be tearing it down or, not, or just re-ornamenting it consistent with a mosque. Okay, it's not so hard to well, think about I, this, I right? I see a couple other micro steps in there. Yeah. The gendarmes show up. Probably by then, a whole bunch of the gendarmes will be filled with Muslims because they're the only ones masculine enough and taking interest in firearms in French society. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and I'm not joking. I, I'm, I'm with serious. you. I'm with you. And then if they, the gendarmes show up and there's a conflict with the Islamic occupiers of the real estate versus the French military, a call will go out to the UN to send in peacekeepers, blue-helmeted peacekeepers. And you know that vote would come, and you know it would be authorized by the 57 Islamic states. Right. That's and right. now you've got a very uncomfortable situation in which you have beret-wearing French soldiers against blue helmets from the UN protecting oh, I see. the Muslims who are occupying this with their Molotov cocktails, you know, threatening to drop them on the ground and burn the whole thing down if it's not transferred into an right. interfaith cathedral. P- putting also forth the, 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 the notion that the, and the emotion of the French that uh, Christianity is bad— and that Islam is good. And, uh, you know, Christian, Christians sure have been uh, pretty bad to those Muslims. What with the, the Inquisition and the, um, and the Crusades and all. So, you know, maybe we should give them this. Yeah, you know? Richard the Lionheart, who I believe wait, came wait, wait, from wait. France, was terrible to Saladin. That's right. He was <laughs> just terrible. Whatever it was. Yeah, so, so we really owe this to, to them. And what's the big deal? We don't really care about it anyway. Nobody's going in there. And like I said, highest and best used. So this will mollify and appease the Muslims. Then, by golly, let's do it. Oh, I, I thought one more thing. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. What do the French hate more than anything? American tourists. 
and it'll keep the American what? tourists out of Notre Dame, and then everyone in Paris will vote for it. All right. Well, now you're cheeky. But I, I, I no, I'm not. no, you are cheeky. <laughs> okay. So, so now, now let's. I said I was going to talk about the historical part of it, and you can talk about this too. Yes, Constantinople is such a great example. The the the, the beautiful church that once was there uh, was taken over by the Muslims there. Now that's that's you know hundreds of years ago. Nevertheless, um, they. You, you can say that that's hundreds of years ago, but nevertheless, they have a history of completely ignoring um, and, in fact, destroying religious relics of anybody else's religion. Uh, and, and they've done that recently. Remember what they did with the Buddhist statues in Afghanistan. I can think of another place they did it. Um, Jerusalem, the Temple Mount? Yes. They, 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 of course, that was my next example. Te- the Temple Mount they, they literally is standing on holy ground of the um, of, of the Jews. And it's a testament to the tolerance and um, the moderation of the Israelis that they allow this in the first place. And they, they observe it and don't even expect the Israelis to go there. Um, and it's a, it's a very honored and sacred ground for the Muslims. But by golly, it's right there on top of um, the, the temple. So that's one thing. And then on a much smaller scale, but still very meaningful, you know, in 2000, I don't know if you remember this, but there were attacks upon, um, uh, gosh, they, uh, Rachel's tomb, remember? Yes. And Joseph's tomb. They destroyed it. That's um, thousands of years. And it just kind in of In Hebron, a, right? In Hebron. Yes. It was just, that's it. Bye-bye. Historical uh, significance completely wiped out. Likewise, during the, um, before the Six-Day War, when the Arabs uh, took over uh, all of Jerusalem, before the Six-Day War, they, uh, they completely destroyed all the synagogues there. Just gone. Okay, so this is... And desecrated them in the foulest of ways yes. before burning them down, as if burning them down wasn't enough. Right. So we're, we're seeing this quite a bit historically, folks. So don't be too surprised and don't be too shocked that when, when the Islamists, when they have an opportunity, don't seize upon that opportunity to destroy what they think uh, is uh, idolatrous, what they think is blasphemous to Islam. And believe it or not, they actually have more contempt for Christianity than they have for Judaism. And and Christianity, they they feel that uh, belief in Jesus as God or as a son of God is idolatry. That's what they call it. I don't call it that, but that's what they call it. And um, at least in Judaism, they, they believe that, uh, they know and acknowledge that we're a monoth- monotheistic faith. Um, and they think that we should follow the prophet Muhammad. But at least we, we believe in one God like they, like they do. And an abstract God who's not physically represented in any That's right. form. Right. So they have more contempt for Christianity. Don't you worry, folks. Uh, well, don't you doubt it. I think you should worry. But don't you doubt it. When they have an opportunity to take over Notre Dame, they will. And I'm not just saying Notre Dame. It could be. I'm saying that symbolically. It could be many other churches. Well, the just plan, like uh, if, it, if it was, if it was the North Korean Republic of Islam, unbridled, unstopped, unencumbered by anything, they would do it today. That's right. They would do it this hour if yeah. if it was capable of of turning every church on planet Earth into a, a mosque. They would do it in a second. Well, I think what we're going to do is, um, is maybe. Call it quits for the for the time being because we were. I see that we're out of time, um, but 
I hear the music playing already in the background. And um, I would like to talk further about there's two other major areas, but we will talk about that in our next podcast, which is what to expect uh, from a foreign um, foreign approach with Russia and China and everything else. And then socially, some things that you can expect in the future too. Anyway, this is uh, Barack Lurie. Things to think about as we go forward in the future. And uh, they're not so pretty, folks. Not pretty at all. Um, we'll talk to you next week. You can be the stone. Carries us out home.